Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Are you someone looking for a neurodivergent coach? Someone who's understanding and who can help you, guide you through your life? Well, my next guest is a neurodivergent coach who uses a sliding scale in her business. We'll talk more about that scale, her clients, and the struggles she sees of her clients, and so much more. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with my very good friend, Daniel Sullivan who is a neurodivergent coach. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Thanks for having me back on. I'm happy to be here. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Danielle Sullivan. I am the uh, host over at the Neurodivergent Podcast, and I run Neurodivergent Coaching, which is uh, a coaching practice work entirely virtual online, and we are neurodivergent coaches serving neurodivergent clients, mostly late-identified autistic ADHD folks, but we serve a wide variety of different kinds of people with uh, life coaching, parent coaching, positive psychology, skills building, that kind of stuff. All right. So when did this practice start? Let's see. I started the podcast in 2020 when I was, I was late identified autistic. And so I started the podcast to try to like find people <laughs> who were like me. And then um, probably around 2022, I started coaching because I started getting like a lot of questions from people who were listening to the podcast and I did not have the skills at that time to support. But also I have two kiddos who are neurodivergent and just as a parent, I was floundering a little bit <laughs> with figuring out how to support them best and learning coaching really got me on the right track in, in supporting them really well. And so, yeah, we probably started in 2022 uh, and or 2021, maybe 2021, I'm going to say. And I should have looked at a timeline before I got on this podcast. Right. Um, my computer just did something. I'm really sorry. There we go. Okay. Um, right. And then around, let's see, it is January, 2024. So in September, 2023, for whatever reason, and I couldn't tell you why we kind of blew up, like we're not, not like Microsoft blown up, but like we got really busy and I couldn't, support everyone who is coming in um and so we it we moved from being just me to having a whole suite of coaches with who are all neurodivergent uh professional adults many with a lot more experience coaching than i have actually and um now have been able to serve a lot more people which has just been really fantastic so yeah that's in a nutshell our, our journey so how did you choose your coaches that's a good question. Well, the first thing I really did was look for other neurodivergent adults and especially late identified because that's those are most of the folks who come in our doors looking for support are people who just got a diagnosis or, or self-identified and are kind of like mind blown a little mm -hmm. bit of trying to figure out, well, what does this mean for me? What changes do I need to make for my life? Um, what kind of supports do I need? Do I need accommodations at work? All these kinds of questions. Um, and then looking for folks who really seem to understand the neurodiversity paradigm of this idea that um, there's nothing wrong or bad or incorrect about being neurodivergent. 
but that you might have different strengths or different weaknesses, or you might have skills gaps. Like you just never were explicitly taught a thing because neurotypical people, you know, maybe for example, I was never explicitly taught social skills. I had to like learn them badly and do them badly for many years. Neurotypical social skills. I mean, not like autistic social skills I'm good at. Um, but I had to explicitly learn neurotypical social skills and then, um, sometimes teach those to other people who are having to engage with neurotypical people at the workplace or whatever, right? And so that's not my fault or anyone else's fault for not knowing that we weren't taught that stuff. And so um, trying to find coaches who understood that this isn't like, we're coming from a neurodiversity affirming perspective of this is not bad or wrong. This is just how humans are. And we're going to support the humans that we interact with day to day, um, which is harder to find than I wish it were, because I think it's really common for us to have internalized ableism and shame and mm -hmm. feelings that we're not good enough. And even in coaches who have been working for a long time, that's the case. So, yeah. And then just finding people who are really good at what they do, who have a lot of really good communication skills, community building skills, coalition building skills, who are self-advocates and know how to teach self-advocacy and know how to collaborate with their clients. Cause we don't, we're not like therapists or doctors where we're like the expert, we're collaborating. We're like asking you what you need and following you on your journey and supporting you on your journey. We're not really interested in like leading you somewhere. So um, finding coaches who can support that really well and kind of be with the client um, mm -hmm. was the most important thing for me. You know, that seems to be the newest word I've seen pop up everywhere is affirming. Oh, yeah. I see it everywhere, uh, neurodivergent affirming, meaning knowing what wordage to use. And I came across this, I, you've probably seen it on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, it's called the, um, the Neurodivergent Affirming Handbook. Okay. Is that um, Sunny? What's their last name? Are they out of Australia? Do you know the no. name? No. Okay. It's um two... Two women, both who have children, one who's got kids who are neurodivergent, she's neurodivergent, the mm -hmm. other one is neurodivergent, and they've both, they're both coaches, and they've written this book, oh. and they teach in their things, like, they teach you, like, what's the proper wordage, instead of saying obsessed, you say mm -hmm. traits. Okay. They they're teaching you the proper wordage. So it's not a negative term. It's more of yeah. a positive. That's so. interesting. To me, I think language is an important part of neurodivergent affirming approaches. Like we do want to not um, pathologize all, all mm -hmm. autistic traits as being something wrong and bad that we have to fix. Um, but also for me, neurodivergent affirming is more than just how you talk about the thing. It's like your mindset and your approach of really understanding and integrating and, 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 and realizing that having a neurodivergent brain is exactly as neutral as having a neurotypical uh, brain is. That all brains are, are natural, normal, neutral constructions and that uh, we need to change what we're doing to uphold the like, humanness of every single person. And so mm -hmm. like the words are important and the language is important but I think it's also about meeting people where they really are and not judging people or shaming people or like expecting people should be behaving this way or doing this way or thinking this way, but instead looking at what they are 
doing and thinking and behaving and meeting them there and getting helping them self-direct where they want to go and supporting them to get where they want to go. So that's really interesting. I don't know that specific handbook. I, I am I glad to see that more I'll stuff is coming out. I'll send you a copy of it. That would be cool. Or just the name and I can look it up. Yeah. 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 What's interesting is one of them, I think the most important things they put in that book is a lot of people, when they hear the word neurodivergent, they only think autism or yeah. ADHD, but really it encompasses all disabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people need to know that neurodivergent isn't just autism and ADHD. It's every disability on an umbrella that accompanies it all. It really does. And we've struggled with that just as coaches because we're, you know, a business, we advertise. Uh, we don't advertise much, but like we have copy on our website and stuff that tries to describe what we do for folks. And most of the coaches who work with us are autistic ADHD, but we work with people who are uh, post-traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. right? Um, who have had a concussion or a stroke. We work with people who are bipolar, who are borderline personality, who are like, there's such a range who are dyspraxic or dyslexic, right? Those are all forms of neurodivergence um, that are among the natural spectrum of human brains. Um, but I completely agree with you that there's something has happened where when we say neurodivergent, people think we mean autistic and maybe a little ADHD. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it is really hard to, I don't know how to course correct that. I thought about that a lot just as somebody who is like, how do I write this paragraph on my website? So it looks like it means what I mean. It means neurodivergent as a whole and not just autistic people. Though we do work with autistic people. It's really a challenge. It's It's been an interesting uh, couple of years of that. Now, from reading your website, you work on it. You guys work on a sliding scale. Mm -hmm, we do. Now, how does that sliding scale work? Sure. So we work on a sliding scale because I'll just say because of, uh, wanting to um, support equity wherever we can. And we know that, first of all, a lot of disabled folks are on um, on disability or are not able to work traditionally for full-time jobs. Um, but also, especially as like a white coach <laughs> who's, uh, you know, coming at this, I, I don't want to be uh, requiring people to pay large amounts of money to build skills, especially if they are traditionally underserved populations or traditionally marginalized populations. So we work on a sliding scale and the basically the way it works is we uh, present you with our scale and you choose where on there you fall. So you're basically deciding on the scale, I wanna pay this much per session. And um, we take you at your word. And what ends up happening is that people who have enough um, and are able to uh, pay at the top of the scale, support our ability to serve people towards the bottom of the mm. scale. And I think it's one of those things that like, if you are highly capitalistic, you're like, that would never work, but it, it does work. We've been doing it for several years um, and it enables us to pay our coaches a living wage. I'm not going to say there aren't coaches out there who make more than we do. Like, sure, you can look at Tony Robbins or somebody and they're making many tens of thousands of dollars per appearance. But just in terms of getting everybody paid at a living wage and making sure we're serving clients who need this need the services um that's that's how we do it and it's worked really well for us yeah now how did you come up with the price range for the scale i looked at uh i looked at what coaches charge to start with 
just as a broad range. So there's like, again, coaching is an industry where there's a broad price range. So newer coaches will often start, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60. And this is in the, the United States. It may be different in other places, but I'm US based. So I use US pricing. Um, starter coaches often charge something like 40 to 60 per session. Uh, coaches with many, many years of experience or high specialty will charge something like 200, 300, 500 and up per session. Um, and we are specialists, but we're also, you know, trying to make this affordable for people as best we can. And it's mm -hmm. not, it's also not covered by insurance, unfortunately. And, um, most clients are not in a workplace where they can get funding for coaching like that. Occasionally we contract with employers, but it's, it's rarer. And so I tried to find a number that seemed like, um, so our lower range right now is 75 a session. And that's basically what it costs for us to pay your coach a living wage and also kind of onboard you like the administrative expenses of like working with credit card processors and stuff like that. And then the high range is 200. And that's just a kind of random number that is a high range for a coach, but still within like a normal range. Um, and then we do also have spots for people who can't afford, if you can't afford 75 a session, which is a lot of people, which is fair. Um, we have a, a rotating, the we have a Patreon that people um, are able to join to support the podcast. And all of those funds go to support people who are in the under 75 range. And so we can take a certain number of them a month, mm -hmm. which is really fantastic. And they just kind of cycle through because the thing with coaching is we're teaching skills and then you're done and you can come back and learn more skills if you want. But it's not like something where you're expected to be in coaching for years and years and years. You know, you're there for three or six months and then you've got what you need, hopefully. And you move on. And so we can support somebody for a couple months, get them what they need. They achieve the goal. And then we move on to the next person. Um, and we're able that way to sort of keep um, keep serving people, which is really the goal is to pay our coaches reasonably and yeah. then serve serve the folks we're here to serve. So, yeah, it's been a fun experiment. I won't say it hasn't been stressful at times, but it's really worked out better than I could have hoped. So, Well, I mean, that answers one of the questions is how do you deal with <laughs> those who can't afford your pricing. And that's a great idea with the Patreon yeah. that you take that money and say, okay, well, this will help with pay for some of your sessions and get you what you need. Exactly. And then you can go on your way. And if you need more, you yeah. can come back. Yeah. And I will say that most clients want to pay us for our services. Most clients are really frustrated that they don't, you know, they don't feel like they have enough extra. And, you know, often we will say, okay, well, if you can contribute $10 a session, then we can make up the rest from the Patreon funds. Um, or, But if you can't, don't do, like, we're not trying to make people <laughs> like you should eat first and pay for your housing yeah. and stuff. Um, but a lot of people do want to contribute even a small amount. And that helps us stretch the Patreon funds. And also it helps people with accountability because it is true that if you put your $5 in, you're more likely to do the work than, you know, if we're giving you free services. Um, so we, we try to find a line that feels comfortable for the client and that's client led. Um, but that also enables us to, you know, make our living and, and do our work. So that kind of reminds me of a vet choice that used to be on air called Dr. Jeff Rocky Mountain Vet, where. Oh, I've seen YouTube clips of that. I haven't seen the yeah, where show. he's got a funding jar for those who can't afford their mm -hmm. services. They take from that yeah. to help those pay for their vets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm in the Rocky Mountains, so I think that's one of the like reasons it pops up on my Facebook feed sometimes. But yeah, I I um you know 
we looked when we started at, at being a nonprofit and I have concerns about being a nonprofit for a couple of reasons, but a lot of it is just that I don't know that that's using people's money to the best because when you become a nonprofit, you're beholden to all the people who fund you. And I get that, but I don't really want to be beholden to the people who fund me. I want, I want, well, I want to be able to fund me to be my clients. I want to be beholden to my clients. I want to make sure we're serving them the best we can. Um, and so this is kind of the middle ground that we've found. That's like, it's still kind of a traditional business setup of you pay for the thing you get. Um, but it allows people to pay their funds forward and for, for the, all the client funds to kind of be pooled to serve everybody equally because everyone gets the same services no matter what you pay right like it's it's not it's not like the people who pay a top tier get better services or different services or anything than mm -hmm. the other people so um so the pooling mechanism works really well for us and i think it enables us to focus on our clientele in a way that other methods of setting up wouldn't wouldn't have so yeah. what is the age range you deal with our primary age range are uh, young adults up to up to older adults. So like anywhere from I just entered college up to, you know, people in their 60s, 70s, um, anyone who's late identified really with any sort of neurodivergence. Um, I do also offer parent coaching so that in that case, we're not working with children directly. Usually we're working with their parents. So sometimes we're um, interacting with younger children, right? Especially mm -hmm. I'm, I'm our main parent coach. So it's usually me. Hello. Hi. Um, and, um, in that case, we're working with kiddos who are anywhere from baby on up to, to teenager. Um, but it's usually through parent coaching where we're helping parents understand, um, you know, neurodivergent behavior and communication styles, um, how to help kiddos, uh, get access and accommodations at school or at work or whatever, um, how to set up, um, set of routines or parenting styles that really suit the family and allow everybody to feel like they have autonomy over their own life, but also kids are getting done what they need to get done and parents are getting done what they need to get done, that kind of stuff. Um, so a lot in that case, it's a lot more like communication coaching or, or um, sometimes just educational um, than traditional coaching is. Yeah. Yeah. So. What are some of the struggles you see your clients deal with? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, Everybody thinks that they have, they're the only one in the world with a problem. And I have learned so quickly that that is never, ever true. If you're dealing with a problem, uh, we have met 10 other people who are dealing with the same problem. I think the most common things people come in with are just the, I'm, I've just got identified and I'm freaking out kind of feeling, which is pretty normal. Um, but also people come in with challenges around, I guess I would label them basic life skills which are things like, I can't keep my dishes clean. I can't keep my house clean. Uh, I can't get up in the morning. Uh, uh, hygiene is really hard. Like the sensory challenges of the toothbrush and the toothpaste and the bath water and stuff is really hard. Um, I'm having trouble remembering to take my meds or refill my meds or, you know, um, I budgeting problems, um, excessive spending, you know, those kinds of things. And they're, almost always executive function challenges, I guess is the big bucket. Um, it's just that people don't, I think aren't generally educated about what executive function is and why it's a challenge for a lot of neurodivergent people, um, kind of broadly, not just autistic ADHD neurodivergent people, but like whole piles of neurodivergent people and neurotypical people. So um, that's 
I think that's the broad range. We all we have a, a little check mark on our form now where you can say oh, you're here for executive function coaching because it's such a common challenge for people to like create a life that works for them and that they're getting the stuff done that they need to live like happily and calmly and roughly having things together. So, yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest keywords you hear when you're dealing with ASD, ADHD, mm -hmm. the get executive functioning. Yeah. Well, let's define that. Sure. For people so they know what they know what it is. What exactly is executive functioning and how does it affect us? Yeah. So um, executive, so I just want to say that I'm going to re be really reductive about it for the sake of getting it in a podcast because you could write books about it. So, mm -hmm. um, but the best way I think to think of it is um, if you think of when you go to the doctor and there's a receptionist, right? You know how you go to the doctor, there's a receptionist, she answers the phone, she organizes, she sends you where you need to go. She keeps track of everything. She prioritizes. That's your executive function. It's right at the front of your brain, prefrontal cortex, and it prioritizes, organizes. It's responsible for emotion regulation. So um, being able to identify and then like use your emotions appropriately in the situation. <laughs> um, and um, lots of other things, time management skills, time awareness um, is part of executive function. Uh, working memory, which is your ability to hold information in your head from say one room to the next room. I need to go get a spoon. And then remembering that all the way to the, the, the drawer and actually retrieving the spoon and then remembering what the spoon was for. That's all working memory. That's executive function. Um, and there's a couple of other things in there as well. Um, so when we say that a lot of neurodivergent people have executive function challenges, what we mean is that, and I can speak for myself too, um, I'm time blind. If I don't have timer set, I don't know what time it mm -hmm. is. And I don't know how long something is taken. And I don't know how to plan how long something will take. Um, I need scaffolding and external supports to help me with that. Um, my working memory is very poor. If I look at something and look away, I can't remember what I just saw. <laughs> so I need supports to help me like keep stuff in my head for longer or to just have it not in my head. Um, there's lots of other kinds of challenges, hygiene, sensory stuff you know, is, is a, is a big one. That's not exec executive function, excuse me, but most of the challenges that people come in with in terms of organizing their lives, making sure they're eating on time, drinking on time, brushing their teeth, having their pills. Those are all executive function. Like you need to know what you're going to do, how to do it and actually go do it. That's executive function. So in a nutshell. Yeah. And a lot of people have a lot of struggles with it. It's pretty normal. Now, what is a typical day like for you? I don't have a typical day. I wish I did. Um, so I'm also a homeschooling parent or an unschooling parent. Um, my children didn't do well in traditional school systems. And so we pulled them and we're in Colorado. So we do a form of homeschooling. So some days I am kind of with my kids full time. Um, I'm, I'm our stay at home parent. I'm responsible for all the household admin and getting people's doctor's appointments and doing grocery shopping and stuff like that. And then other days I am working with clients directly. I am writing up client notes. Um, I'm working on courses. We have um, like do-it-yourself courses for folks who are not ready for one-on-one -on -one coaching but need help with a specific skill. Um, so I, I write those and I record them and I put them up. I work on podcast production. Uh, we have the Neurodivergent Podcast, which goes out a couple times a month. Um, and I'm responsible for those. Um, and then often we are working with uh, group coaching clients live. So we, um, we have the Patreon, we have accountability groups twice a week. 
our body doubling groups, uh, co-working groups, however you want to call those. We do group coaching live sessions. We do um, parent support groups. We do um, what else? Lots of other, <laughs> lots of other things. There's a lot going on in our diverging. Um, and sometimes we're running our six week groups. We have two, um, one for parents and one for newly identified, mostly neurodivergent adults that run a couple times a year um, that are live mix of education and, and peer support and live coaching support. Um, so I'm, I'm always doing something, but it varies a lot on what that is, whether it's, you know, I'm having a video day or I'm doing a, a writing day or I'm with my kids. Yeah, it's always now, good when stuff. you no, when you deal with individuals to families, do you change how you work between the two, or is it somewhere similar, or where they kind of overlap? What you look, bring from one to the other? I think there's a lot of skills that are transferable um, with family coaching, with parent coaching. You know, there's a lot of single parents out there, but often I'm working with two or more parents. And they might have different communication styles. Their relationship might be in good shape or not so good shape. Um, and so there's a lot more communication coaching, deep listening practice, um, active listening practice, um, and, and then some more education around like what's actually normal for neurodivergent kids. Because a lot of people have these expectations, even for neurotypical kids that are like completely unreasonable, like expecting eight-year-olds to do things that 16-year-olds sometimes can't do, you know? Um, and so sometimes it's just educating parents, like, actually, it sounds like what your four-year-old is doing is totally within the range of normal for a four-year-old. And, you know, you don't necessarily need to be worried about that. Um, with individual coaching with adults, a lot of what we're doing is there's a little bit of education and of explaining to people that actually what they're going through is pretty normal and they're not alone in it and, you know, helping them find other support. Um, but a lot of it is mindset. A lot of it is that we have struggled for so long, many of us, without an identifier um, or a diagnosis. And we've internalized this idea that we're just sort of useless. Like we try so hard and we can't get stuff done. Mm -hmm. We look around and we see other people succeeding and we feel like we're not succeeding. And we've internalized that this is like a personal failing of ours. And actually it's not. It's just you don't have the skills you need to succeed. Or you do, and you're not seeing that you're able to do things because people are telling you that you're failing. And so that's, it's really challenging, but it's a lot of mindset work. It's a lot of noticing where actually are you doing pretty well? You know, when you've handled challenges in the past, how have you um, succeeded over those? And can you apply that forward? Um, are the expectations other people are putting on you, especially like your parents or your partners or those kinds of things, reasonable expectations, right? Or are they not? And And that kind of work can be really, it sounds kind of obvious when I'm just explaining it, but that kind of work can be really transformational for people um, just to recognize that they do have places where they're doing really well and they have huge strengths and just applying those forward instead of focusing on all the things they can't do can be really valuable. Yeah. Now, have you had parents who won't recognize that their son is autistic and the son's sitting there trying to get it across to him, I'm autistic this is, I'm not lazy. I'm autistic. I usually get the opposite. Honestly, I get parents who are confident that their child is ADHD or autistic or whatever. And kiddo is resistant to that identifier often just because it's scary. Like it's scary to have an identification with something that you're not mm -hmm. familiar with. And there's so much stigma against, especially autism, but also other types of neurodivergence that 
I can understand why somebody who's not familiar, who's never like met out autistic people doesn't really want to associate with, like we're awesome, but they don't know that. So um, sometimes parents are resistant to the idea, like they're okay with their kid being like autistic, for example, but the idea that an autistic person will have these challenges and that is normal is really hard. So it's not like the label, it's the, uh, for example, you just said lazy, right? Like, so explaining to a parent that actually executive function is a part of, dysfunction is a part of autism and that's normal and it doesn't mean the kid's lazy is is more often what's going to happen than like a rejection of the autism right um and a lot of parents are concerned about their kids like using their autism as an excuse which i say in huge scare quotes right or using their mm -hmm. disability as an excuse um to get out of things and it's like you know some kids might actually yeah not take out the trash because they're <laughs> they don't want to um, but also mostly it's, it's not an excuse and, and trying to educate them on that. But kids always do the best they can. Like, that's the thing is even kids with huge behavioral challenges have those behavioral challenges because they're trying to do the best they can and no one's like noticing how hard they're working. Um, and so I, I think, I think parents do better when they recognize that. Um, yeah. Now, you've mentioned that you've done, you've got programs that you've been working on. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of those programs and what they kind of offer for those of, for those out there. Sure. We have lots of things. I'm really excited about how many things we've been able to do in a short period of time because my coaches are amazing. Um, one very cool thing that we just started offering with my colleague who, uh, her name is uh, Dr. Robia Supani, and she's not a coach with me, but she's a uh, neurodivergent um, psychologist, and we put together a program for professionals and uh, coaches, other coaches and healthcare workers who are trying to learn about, as we were talking about earlier, about neurodiversity affirming practice. And so um, that's a really cool thing we just started offering is a certification on uh, becoming a neurodiversity affirming healthcare or coach practitioner. Um, so that's available. But then for like individual folks, we have uh, for example, courses on um, creating visual supports for adults. So when we we're talking about executive function, um, a lot of executive function challenges for us can be supported by creating visual visual supports, whether they're to-do lists or picture schedules or um, social stories or all sorts of things. And so we have a course um, that people can take at their own leisure um, up about that. We have courses on supporting mindfulness. Um, we have courses on uh, beating procrastination. Um, we have a very good one that I'm very proud of on alexithymia, which is very, very common for especially autistics, but also other neurodivergent folks, um, which is the inability to sort of describe your feelings or to understand what you're feeling. And I'm alexithymic, so it's something that's close to me. Um, so that's available. And then we also have um, live courses that we run periodically. We run a six week um, course. It's like a course program self-help support called From Defeated to Inspired, which is mm -hmm. um, for late, mostly late identified autistic people who are feeling really overwhelmed and need some like supportive kicks in the butts and tactics to use to like get stuff together, like create supports for themselves, figure out what accommodations they need and take back control. Um, and then we also have a collaborative parenting six-week program, which is for parents of neurodivergent kiddos who are struggling with like uh, quote unquote challenging behaviors, <laughs> you know, like who are seeing behaviors that they're not sure how to address or mm -hmm. handle in a kind, authentic, gentle parenting sort of way. 
Um, and collaborative parenting is a really good model for most neurodivergent kiddos in that it supports their autonomy and their independence. And so that's what we teach. Yeah. So we have lots of things going on. <laughs> I see you have a course called Get Out of Your Head. Yeah, that's the visual supports course. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about that and how it helps those of us. Sure. So I think I talked about this briefly when we were talking about executive function, but a lot of our executive function challenges are that um, you're supposed to, well, you're not supposed to be able to do anything. You're a human and you're how you're supposed to be. But um, neurotypical people or people without executive challenges, executive mm -hmm. functioning challenges, can often carry a lot of information in their heads and retrieve it relatively quickly. Neurodivergent people have lots of other brain strengths, <laughs> but um, our working memory tends to be poorer and our ability to like, you know, remember from minute to minute what we're supposed to be doing is is usually not as great. And so the get it out of your head course is a visual supports course where we're explaining executive function in more detail. We're showing you exactly what executive function encompasses and doesn't. So you can identify like where your strengths are and where your weaknesses might be. And then if you do have executive dysfunction weaknesses, we're giving you tactics you can use to get things out of your head and into some other container that will help you with it. So that can be things like visual supports. That can be things like alarms that remind you mm. to, to prompt you to do things. Playlists that end at a certain time. So you have to transition to a new task, right? Um, there's lots of different mechanisms and strategies you can use, but basically to literally get stuff out of your brain and into other containers that will help you do the thing. Um, so you're not forgetting to eat or use the bathroom or take a shower or meet your partner or pick up your kids, right? Or whatever it is. Um, and that can be really, really helpful for a lot of clients, which is why we made a course about it. Usually once I am sort of tired of telling people the same thing over and over and over again, I make a course about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, that's how you know that a lot of people need this material, right? So how, when you're dealing with a, a uh, client who's got executive functioning problems, mm -hmm. what kind of strategies do you use to work with them? Especially like I know with executive functioning, a lot of it is planning, mm -hmm. a lot of it is time. What what kind of strategies do you use to help them figure it out? Yeah. The first thing when a client comes in is they will have either written out or, or spoken out um, some of the challenges they're having. So I'll have some information about what's going on for them. Um, and usually we'll start sort of from the top of what is your highest priority or the thing that is messed up the most that would make the most difference to you if we fixed it, right? And sometimes that's like getting to work late and they want to get there on time or they're, you know, messing up date night with their significant other or whatever it is. Um, and we look at what are the, what are the things that are blocking this? And sometimes it is a very practical challenge. Like they need more transition time built into their calendar or they're literally forgetting and they need to set an alarm, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. it's very easy, you know, like um, they not easy in the sense of they should have thought of it themselves, but easy in the sense of they just sort of need a, a trigger, right? To do the thing. Um, sometimes, at, and very often, I think people have emotional blocks that um, mm. it's scary to do the thing. And uh, what if I, you know, maybe going to work is anxiety provoking. What You might have to talk to your boss. You might have to take the bus and you don't like, you know, something sensorily about the bus, or maybe um, you're worried you're going to get fired. 
And so you avoid the whole thing by not going to work, which doesn't make rational sense, but it makes sort of emotional sense in our brains. Mm -hmm. um, and emotional blocks are a big part of coaching is helping folks, first of all, figure out if they're having an emotional block, figure out what's causing that block, and then identifying where we do have control. So we might not have control over the bus, but we might be able to um, you know, bring a sensory kit with us. We might be able to afford an Uber or ask for accommodations from work to come in later so we could take a different bus, right? Um, and so taking your feelings seriously as indicators of something wrong or right, <laughs> right? Sometimes feelings tell us that something is working really well. Um, but if you're having, avoid, if you're avoiding, right? If you're procrastinating, sometimes that's an emotional block and we need to take that emotion seriously and look at what's causing that. And can we, flip it so you feel better about the thing and then you'll be more likely to do the thing right so executive function is sometimes you know we need to set a timer but sometimes it's dealing with anxiety or fear or stress or shame um that uh that will open you up to being able to do the thing now how do you deal with a client who's got severe like procrastination issues who like just keeps putting stuff off and off and off until it's like almost at the due date and then they just panic Oh, that's so common. So like, um, so amazingly common. And it really depends because um, even though one thing that's kind of really cool and one thing I really like about this job actually is even though people present with what looks like the same problem, it's all different problems. <laughs> so you really have to be sort of a um, investigator and figure out what's going on. Um, now, sometimes people procrastinate um, because they are ADHD brains and ADHD brains don't get enough dopamine throughout their day mm -hmm. and their brains just can't access or produce enough. And so um, they're using the deadline to give themselves dopamine. And in that case, um, that's an indicator to me that we need to be giving you more dopamine spread out throughout your day. So you don't need to use this deadline as an adrenaline rush to get your dopamine, right? That you can, you can <laughs> give yourself more dopamine throughout. And so we might work on figuring out what makes you happy, right? Can you um, take a couple minutes every day to text a friend, look at your fish, take a walk, whatever gives you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, sometimes procrastination is avoidance of a, a difficult emotion, right? If I, uh, if, I, if I write the paper, I'm going to have to be judged for the paper and I'm scared of being judged, whether I get a good grade or a bad grade, right? I'm scared of that. Mm -hmm. What, what if, you know? And then dealing with the, okay, so, let's grapple with that fear. Like, okay, so what does happen if you get a good grade? You know, what are you worried will be the result of that? And can we get in front of that? What happens if you get a bad grade? What do you worry will be the result of that? Can we get in front of that, right? Um, procrastination can be caused by a lot of different challenges. And it's, yeah. um, it's often layered, like there's multiple things going on, but you kind of just pick it at one thing at a time. And eventually you figure out all the blocks and you clear them and you know, people have fewer problems. Not to say they're never going to procrastinate again, but we can like bring it down to once a week instead of six times a week, you know? So. And finally, how can <laughs> we find out more about you and your practice? For sure. Um, I'm at neurodiverging.com and that's the main way to find me. Um, so our podcast is there. We have blog posts. We have uh, lots of free resources. And then obviously the coaching and the courses and everything are also there. And then you can also find us at patreon.com slash neurodiverging, which gives you like perks and hot seat coaching and uh, 
body doubling group and those kinds of things. And the money goes to support our lower income uh, clients, as we talked about early in the podcast. So we appreciate your support there as well. And that's it, everybody. That was Daniel Sullivan. I'm Reed Miles, and I'll see you in the next one.